Greetings, boils and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast where we speak the speech I pray you as I pronounce it to you. The greatest horror anthology of our generation. Tales from the Crypt. I'm Thomas Johnston, and this fartle born is my sister, Mary Johnston. Hello. Hello from Fartlesworth. Hey, <laughs> hey Mary. Have What's you ever fartle? found that? No one knows. No, it's uh, it's uh, like encumberment or uh, you, you remember that that grunge song that cumbersome. It's like that. <laughs> Fartlesome. <laughs> Fartles boy. <laughs> Mary, have you ever found that life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more? It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. So how was your Super Tuesday? My gorge rises. <laughs> gorge rises. Did you forget that that was from Hamlet? I kind of had. Spe- I, I talk about my gorge rising. No, I know. Kind of we talk about time. it enough that I had forgotten its source material and was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. gorge rising, normal, normal. Yeah, day. yeah, it's the thing Thomas says. <laughs> it's from it's from Hamlet. They're pretty classy. Um, so normally this is the part where we, where I would start singing the Tales from the Crypts theme song to force you to move on. Mm-hmm. But instead, I'm going to do it anyway. Boo, 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 we should have got we should have gotten like Sting to play loot like that songs for the labyrinth um, over it like do a like do a like motet arrangement of the Tales of the Crypt theme song actually and really it doesn't have to be accurate to uh, you know fifteenth century music or anything in fact it's better if it's just sort of like crappy Ren Faire style like yeah 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 who'd you say would do the Sting. Oh, Sting, Sting, his great, that amazing concept album, someone gave him a lute, so he learned to play the lute with, like, one of the foremost lutenists in, in the in do England or whatever. Do you love Sting? No, but I do love the Sting lute album, Songs of the Labyrinth. It's, he found, he dug up this, like, Elizabethan um, uh, composer, I guess, who, um, I can't remember his name. It's Thomas something. Anyway, they're all like sad love songs, you know, like, uh, you know, um, I don't know. They're great. It's great. It's worth it. Nation, Crypt Nation, Creepies, look into it. So, once again, this is normally the part where I would dive right into <laughs> the talent that's associated with this picture. And I am going to do that, but we're going to do it a little bit differently now. Because I'm going to start with the the primary cast member, the most famous person in this cast. Dare I say, the only cast member? <laughs> no, this movie. This, this movie. I know, no, no, no. This movie is. Ooh, that's two bingo cards in full. two sentences. This this episode is actually has like a pretty impressive cast in it. But I agree. Yes, the, wasted. Wait, wasted. <laughs> wasted. I feel like the they cast. give. I feel like they it's give everyone wasted. else really good stuff to do. But um, all right. Wastes. The most White girl wasted. Jesus. The the main <laughs> character is Barry Bile, who's played by John Lovitz, who's, of course, duh, super famous. He's the radio from Brave Little Toaster, yada, yada, yada. We've talked about it many times. <laughs> and, and maybe he had some more stuff aside from that, but that's how we know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most important <laughs> to our show, that's how we know him. And 
we agreed that for this episode, we were going to watch one of his TV shows, the an episode of his TV show, The Critic, and talk about it. The animated show. Did it you, stinks. Did you realize? <laughs> that, oh, God. <laughs> so bad. I had, I had very fond memories of watching reruns of it on Comedy Central when we were kids. And they yeah, I, I kind of do too. Dis- d- disappointed. I'm very disappointed. And I think, yes, we so, uh, John, uh, we watched the uh, episode that is notable for having Siskel and Ebert portraying themselves in animated form. It is the highest rated episode on IMDb of the critic, and tends to make all those lists of you know the best episodes of the critic that you need to watch. I say all that those like lists, all one of them yeah. that we could find on yes. the internet. Yes, right, 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 right. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was. I wouldn't even say it was fine. It, it was, was definitely not fine. Yeah, no, but you know how you know how you like watch them. You're like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. The episode's name, it's, by the way, is Siskel and Ebert and Jay and Alice. Right. Yeah. Alice is uh, is his sort of improbable uh, his girlfriend. Who paramour. Has a southern accent. Yeah. Like the band. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yes. Would it surprise you? It surprised me to learn that this was not like a John Lovitz directs, John Lovitz produces, John Lovitz writes the everything John Lovitz stars in TV show. I thought this was his show. It's not at all. Yeah, no, no. It's like some guys who did. Uh, I, I read about this, too. Some guys who were doing a spinoff of the si- The Simpsons, which was then very popular and still kind of novel. And like Matt Gurning had to like go out of his way to be like, Yes, these guys are Simpsons guys, but this is not a Simpsons show. Uh, As if that you know, wouldn't like, be obvious immediately upon laying eyes on it. But but you know when you're thinking about the time though, this this is this is obviously like pre-adult swim. This is before like you know before Family Guy, before any of that stuff. So like it was like the Simpsons was the cartoon for adults. So maybe they maybe they thought that people would be like, oh, is this another cartoon that's not just for children? Oh, it must be it must be like the Simpsons. Also. Jay Sherman, who is of course John Lovett's character, has appeared in episodes of The Simpsons, so it's so so it might not be a it, they they seem to exist in parallel universes. Interesting. They, this yeah. also, of course, was all on Fox, so maybe Fox has just been like riding this horse forever. Although this only lasted. Well, I, I, actually, it wasn't, two I thought it was originally on ABC because mm. they make ABC jokes. In one of the episodes. It, it, who cares? It, who cares? It, Look, it super doesn't matter. The show is supposed to be this, like, weird love letter to New York. Jay Sherman is this, like, off-putting and abrasive, uh, portly, uggo uh, uh, TV film critic. And, uh, Oh, you and I both get to be right. It was first broadcast on ABC and then finished its run on Fox. Oh, good. No, but anyway, but it's, you know, it's, um... Actually, when you watch it, I feel like there's a lot of Family Guy DNA here. They, I, I'm, I, I didn't look this up, or whatever, but like, I, I must not be the first person to notice this. But there's lots of like weird, like non sequitur and cut asides and like funny references. So, because he'll like review, um, uh, you know, movies that 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 are that are like dumb hacky mashups of other movies. So it'll be like, um, you know, Howard's End of Days, or I, I, I don't even know, <laughs> The Cockroach King. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is which is supposed to be like the Lion King, right? Is it Joe's apartment than the Lion King? It's, yeah. it's like it's Honey, all just... I ate the kids. Aren't you dying with laughter? 
Yeah, that's really actually fun. actually the one the list I'm looking at does say it's Howard Stern's end, and and that's pretty. Oh, good. Howard Stern's end. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah, that's, that's good. actually pretty pretty good joke. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. It's it, and that in fact is my least favorite part of this. It's just like these jokes that just like go oh, kind of happen, but there's like no follow through or consequence. Like Jay has a racist joke about downtown LA, goes nowhere. Jay right, right. finds and, and out the Oscars fine. are made out of chocolate and eats the one he's gonna present, and then nothing happens. Like it's it's not, but it's, they're not they're not good jokes. Right, and and it seems a little bit too committed to its own like. I'm going to say something nice about Family Guy. Can you believe it? At least Family Guy sort of realizes that the stories it puts the characters in are like trash and don't actually matter. But I feel like this has a little bit too. You're supposed to be a little bit invested in the actual story of the episode, yeah. and and it's not it's not snappy enough. If you're doing this sort of these sort of like ah, oh, it's a joke, bring it on. You need like a like a snappier rapid fire thing. Um, there's also like like weird continuity. Like Jay has this weird adopted stepdad who is like a like a rich wasp or something. And it's not explained, but you just kind of and he um do, do they destroy they destroy the Guernica painting right? Mm-hmm. And does the dad in the episode say take that Queernica? Is that, <laughs> is that I, a joke? Maybe that happened. If so, I was not paying attention when it happened. That's terrible. I mean, I mean, does do the writers really have it in for the Basque people? Have they not suffered enough? <laughs> but oh yeah, the critic. It's it's not great. It's painful. Still did. Was there ever a joke that made you laugh in it? There was one solitary joke that made me laugh in this. Episode. Oh man, I do remember there being a time when I was like, I should remember this time, but I don't. <laughs> was it the time that so the the central conceit of this show? Did you describe this already? The central conceit yeah, of the yeah, episode the, is that oh, no, Siskel and Ebert. The central conceit of this are is that breaking up. They're gonna break up, you guys, because they're because they're up. men, and isn't that funny that they would have a partnership that. They're they're in love. It's gay. It's a gay joke. There's gay. They're jokes. like definitely gay. not gay, but it's really gay what they're doing. I think is the joke. Yeah, that's not <laughs> two the joke men that... talking about films together. Yeah, Ooh. and that was the joke that made me Pretty laugh really hard. Me. I love gay panic. No, the joke that made me laugh really hard is so that there's like kind of this like montage of like Siskel and Ebert trying to find new partners because like heaven forbid that they review movies right. alone, and there's one where there's like a kind of like a. Just like a smiling tan dude talking to Siskel and he's like, you know, I just saw the new Disney movie. And, you know, Disney might not win awards with their films, but they keep America smiling and are and are making sure that Tim Allen is, you know, stays in business. And Siskel looks at him and is like, you're totally the devil, aren't you? And then he transforms into <laughs> yes, the yes, devil. Yes, I did laugh at that part. Yes, genuinely laughed. Yeah. Very good joke. Yeah. In like just a sea of chaff, a, like a glittering diamond about the size of your thumbnail in like just garbage everywhere else. <laughs> this is like if you take like a really hard poop and you're like, oh, Whoa. That, that felt bad. And you're like or inspecting and you're like, wait, is there, is there a, is that a diamond? What do I eat? <laughs> <laughs> what are you feeding your children? I know you just had another baby, but. Diamonds. Feed them diamonds. Feed your baby diamonds. Then changing their diapers a treat. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. No problem. It's, great. it's like a little treasure hunt. It's fun for you. <laughs> Make it for a treat. Um, for a treat. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was bad. Um do not recommend. Two thumbs down. Well, the ob- I'll go for the obvious joke before you can. It stinks. <laughs> which is it the which stinks. is the, the the what Jay says about every movie. Right. And so I think we can maybe uh, return to some of our critiques here, because I think that the character of Jay Sherman 
and the character of Barry Bly are kind of not exactly the same, but they, they, they play with this weird, the, 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 the weird comedic personality that John Lovitz has at this time, which, uh, which seems to just be unpleasantness. Yeah. Right. Which is self-importance. Like, 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 like a, like a bad flavor of cheese that the cheese guy conned you into buying. And now, now you spent $8 on a little nub of cheese that is bad. Why do you, why do you have untrustworthy cheesemongers in your life? I'm worried about no, it. No, I think I think they just overestimate what my palate can handle. Mm, 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 mm. They're like, this guy, this guy can handle some foot. He'll love it. Yes. <laughs> this guy wants to eat some cheese that's basically like a foot in a, in a sock in a butt. Yeah. He'll love it. Um, we'll go. I love that butt cheese. Let's All let's right. move on to the rest of the personnel. Tom Holland is the director of this, um, and this is a little factoid about him that I absolutely love. First of all, Tom Holland's like fingerprints are all over a bunch of like weird like B side TV shows that I really like, and this mm-hmm. story is where it starts. He claims that his life was changed forever at the age of five when he saw a single episode of Johnny Quest and became quite, quite scared. And from that moment on, he knew he wanted his life to be thrilling and exciting. And so he started storytelling to bring these amazing stories to viewers. And he has done that at least 200 times for different television shows. That's cool. Yeah. So he directed episodes of Max Headroom. He directed episodes of Twin Peaks, Erie, Indiana, My So-Called Life, and... Oh, man. Right. All of those things are great. Yeah, all of those are great. And um, a lesser known, like maybe like a C-side or a D-side TV show, which I think is very good, (laughs) which is called Wonderfalls. He directed most of Wonderfalls. Oh. Did he create it or anything, or was he just director on that? He's not the creator. He's just director. And then... Oh, man, wonderful. I haven't thought of that in forever. We're bobbing along in our barrels. Some of us Someone tip right over tip the right edge. over the edge. I, both of us were like, are we going to keep singing? <laughs> Is there going to be more? Some of us are mystifying. Anyway. Um, he, and and he directed two of the old and has directed one of the new episodes of Amazing Stories, which, when I saw is coming to Apple TV, I got very excited. I love Amazing Stories. It's like one of my favorite um, anthology series. Wait, is Amazing Stories, is that the one that's like That's Spielberg's baby. Yeah, the Spielberg one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that has the classic uh, Mummy, But It's a Daddy episode. Yeah, that one's great. Yes. There are some very good- but I'm the daddy. There's some very good episodes of Amazing Stories, and I'm excited that they're coming back. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Amazing Stories is good. I sometimes get Amazing Stories confused with the Twilight Zone movie. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. They have a similar aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, it's that Spielberg, uh, yeah, saccharine taste where you um, like watch too many of them. It's like you've eaten a bunch of candy bars. Also, uh, John Aston is in this, and he is Gomez Adams. Yeah, yeah, he rules. Yeah, he's the best. I think he's the best. Did you he in this for sure? Have you? Yeah. Did you know that he is from Baltimore? No, no, Mary. I think he is objectively the best actor the of best. our time. <laughs> if he played Falstaff, Any he would time. push George George Orwell right over the edge. Yeah, George Orwell can go, go take a hike. <laughs> can go soak his head. Um, Why don't um, you have a seat and write write a sequel to Animal Farm? You hack. <laughs> you dick. 
Um, no, but did you know that? Uh, did you know that uh, John here is from Baltimore? Doesn't that explain his mustache? Oh man, this is like the weird thing where you're like, wait, is everybody from Baltimore? Uh, basically, like John Waters. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's just full. And then um, his agent is played by Louise Fletcher, who, if you see her, you absolutely recognize her. She's a wonderful character yeah. actress. Yep, Most yep, yep, yep. notably, she was Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. I mostly bring her up because I found out this amazing fact about her. So she was born to two parents who happened to be deaf, and they are mm-hmm. educators and activists with, or they were educators and activists within the deaf community. Sure. Which unintentionally led to the fact that she did started kindergarten not kindergarten not actually knowing how to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so she learned how to talk when she was like six from an aunt that could hear, and the aunt taught her like got her into acting as a way for her to be able to uh, practice her speech. So that's when oh, yeah. she, so she started acting as a little kid, um, and obviously is very talented at it. She does cite though. That when she was a little girl, you know, she, she if she was hurt or needed something, she would not cry because her parents could not hear her, right? Mm-hmm. So she got very good at honing, like, way productive ways of visually emoting, and she thinks that that helps her acting just as much as, you know, her oh, ability to speak. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was, like, a cool – that's an unusual – That's cool. Unusual yeah, situation cool. for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I like her. She's she's fun. I feel like at this stage in her career, she's definitely like basically pushed into like women and women in kind of like dowdy suits being bitches. And she's definitely that <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> somebody's ex-wife. Am I right, fellas? For sure. The worst. For sure. Yeah. Or she's like. You know, she's like the only woman that works in the office full of men, and she can do it because like, nobody wants to sleep with her. Yeah, yeah, right. And then she lights up a giant cigar because she's just one of the boys. Yeah. But she Probably, seems like a actually, way cooler the... person than one would think based yeah. on those roles. Yes, yes. There's probably a lot of like weird homophobic coding that's <laughs> attached to those characters that we aren't we are no we are not privy to. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, probably like the note is just like lesbians <laughs> yeah that's what i mean that's like, <laughs> up until the point in the, the episode where like not in this episode but in the in the you know theoretical rhetorical uh show like all the guys are like hitting their secretaries on the butt and then she does it too and you're supposed to be like uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah gross 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 more gay panic anyway tell us what this episode's about all right all right i will give a brief synopsis Barry Bly is an actor with a commitment to his craft. Too bad no one will cast him. He apparently doesn't have the look. He responds to a casting call for production of Hamlet with an eccentric but demanding director and lands a role to die for. (laughs) I I also wrote a dog roll fake Shakespearean terrible Renfair version of this. You ready? I'm very ready. I've never been more (laughs) ready for anything in my life. Yea, verily, Master Bly, as actor tries, and fails at roles to get. A production by esteemed bard is oft, and so too his head. (laughs) Is it over? I like it. Yes. I like it. Yeah. Pretty good. So, so, I feel like we've we've talked so much. 
We've talked so much. And now we're like, so that episode, the reason, the reason theoretically we're here. Um, what do you think of this episode's important themes and morals? Um, usually I think that like the last couple ones we've had have kind of been a little bit lame. I think that this one actually mm-hmm. has kind of fun themes and morals, which are must artists suffer for their art. And then, and that's like kind of, okay. that's okay. I'm okay with that theme. But then mm-hmm. I think that there might be a theme in here of who is deserving of art. And I think that's more interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I think that we have a lot of um, switching and like expect and uh, diverted expectations about who people are and how and mm-hmm. that how that relates to art. Like the central conceit of he doesn't realize that these people are unst- unstable because he thinks they're great artists and that's and right. he believes himself to be a great artist is really interesting. I believe what he says is he's demanding. I respect that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In a moment where you're just like, God damn it, Barry. Yeah, yeah. What do you think the important themes are? Oh, mine, like, this business doesn't have anything to do with acting. Talent is nice, but you need the look. Um, There are some parts worth passing on. (laughs) And then I just wrote, something's muddled about superficiality. (laughs) I just wrote, John Lovitz is too much of an uggo to work as an actor. (laughs) Which has not stopped him at all. Yeah. Now, hey, this, this is like a weird thing where I understand that within the, you know, the the context of this story, that's that's a constant thing. And he refuses to get plastic surgery and he sees himself as an artist and won't sell out and is actually kind of weirdly shitty to his um, his like former roommate who's now a, like a successful commercial actor. Mm-hmm. Um, Winton. But, uh, Winton, yeah, oh, yeah, does, Winton. Winton is not great himself, but yeah. No, no, Winton is bad, but 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 you don't know that at the time. Like, also, like yeah. Winton doesn't do anything especially bad. I don't know. I mean, it is pretty mean spirited to try and take basically prove to Barry that he will take the role away from him. It it is, but it's not. Uh, I guess. Yeah, but but it's not right, like. But yeah, it's it, it's understandable given the character arc, and I don't think that he's like an unbelievable. He's not a villain for doing so. Right, and, and and let's be real. By that point in the story, Barry is such an off-putting and unpleasant yeah, person really that you're like, him. you're like, yeah, he probably does like, need yeah. to learn. Also, he is yes. too old to play Hamlet. Oh, also, I, I'm going to be real. I, I mean, maybe I'm as I get older. No, John Lovitz also is supposed to be 35. He doesn't look 35. No. I don't think John Lovitz has ever looked 35, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. He's too old to play Hamlet. So, like, that is also kind of a weird part of this. I, I just want to put it out on Front Street right away. This is mm-hmm. not the worst looking production of Hamlet that I've personally ever seen. <laughs> no, no. I would as... I would happily trade this production of Hamlet for other productions of Hamlet that I have had to sit through <laughs> in uh... my lifetime. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Actually, though, this 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 is diverting a little bit. This isn't even an ambush. This, but I was thinking about this earlier today. Yeah, you know how people there are a lot of movies that are about movies, and there are TV shows about being screen stuff like that. You know, people think that this little corner of what they know about is interesting, and so it sort of becomes entertainment. I feel like like remember when the artist won Oscars? Remember when like every movie that came out that year in the Oscars was about how great Hollywood was? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, like how every Oscars loved. I mean. Hollywood right. loves Hollywood. Right, right, right. So, but I, this also kind of is of a, 
kind of waiting for Guffman-esque thing where it is sort of a, let's make a movie about how funny and shitty, like, small town dramatics is. Is this like a weird kind of punching down? Like, we're going to make a movie about how ridiculous it is that people who are trying to put on a play, you know, well, want to try and do a good job. That's where I kind of got that theme <laughs> of of uh, who is deserving of good art. Because, like, I think that there yeah. is, like, it's just this story probably has not aged very well in, like, a time where we now have... Um, we now have productions of Hamlet and Macbeth performed by people who are on death row, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure. like now people would pay like people would pay a lot of money to see this production of Hamlet, right? Yeah. Like to see criminally insane people put on Shakespeare. Yeah, absolutely, well, that would happen. And and, and probably like honestly, it, it it would it could be part of their therapy, which they are yeah. presumably getting well, in this institution. Yes, yes, and everybody is deserving <laughs> of good art. So I, I guess maybe that's me when yeah. I see this. That that's what I think about the most. How it's mm-hmm. like, oh no, and they're crazy people. Of course, this production's going to be insane. And you're like, well, I mean, so that actually brings yeah. me to: Do you think? That Hamlet is a they could have picked any anything from Shakespeare. Yeah, right? yes, 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 yes. Do yes. you think that Hamlet is a good match for this story? No, no. I, I mean, and and uh, this is like my notes. Where I'm like, is this story about anything Shakespearean? Uh, of course not. They're just using they're using Hamlet because it has the iconic skull and it is iconic of sort of high art and it's something that Bar- Barry can you know, you know, it's poetry. You don't go in cold, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I I did a little bit of a deeper dive. I, mean, I, think I guess that Ham- Hamlet does have themes of madness and everything, but I I don't think this is very interested in interrogating any of that. Um, well, it would just be it would just be weird if they were going to do like Death of a Salesman or Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Also, there aren't skulls in those plays, so. Well, are they going to pick Macbeth? Macbeth actually seems like a much better story. Like killing well, and, so, killing someone so that you can climb to the top, you would have to change it a little bit. But I think all those changes right, right, would right. be for the better. Um, yeah, I yes. did do I did do a little bit of work on on Hamlet for this. Uh, I do think uh-huh. there is some weird overlap, which which makes me think about this story differently and in a way that I like. But I don't. I, I would like to just say right off the bat that I do not think the creators thought about this as much as I did. <laughs> You're like, this is a bunch of made up bunko. <laughs> No, it's not a made up bunkum, but it, it, it's like it's coincidental in a way that is interesting. So okay, I'm ready. Hit me. So okay. So people tend to think about Hamlet as a revenge tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. But almost the tragic part of it is that our melancholy Dane Hamlet is not very good at executing revenge. He's very good about thinking about it and talking about it and and getting in getting it up in his own head about it, but. He's not actually very good at killing his father's murderer. He doesn't do it yeah. until the very end. Um, and it's kind of it's almost like just like kind of a mistake that it happens. So I understand yeah. yes. I understand that like compacting in that much um, intellectual like if you had lot if I understand this is a 22 minute story and that you can't pack in sort of this like, cycle of um of self-loathing 
and revenge fantasy and failure and 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 kind of go through that quite as much. But I do think you could have had little signals that Barry was like thinking about killing the people that he felt wronged him, and that would be better match with Hamlet. Yes, and you could do yeah. it through you could do it through like fantasy sequences, which actually would be quite interesting to watch. Um. Mm-hmm. But this seems to me to be like a better match with like Macbeth or Titus Andronicus. If you yeah, or, or, or if you really need to get a skull in there. Yeah, or, or kind of any it, it can be like the play can be anything. Um But it should the, it should echo the story, don't you think? I think it's important that it does. I mean it if should. that's the case then it almost feels like with him with him strangling um the guy who gets the his you know, his friend, his frenemy, his yeah, whatever. Um that, that that to me almost seems almost more like an Othe- an Othello kind of situation. Um, I thought about Othello too. So yeah, the reason I went with in, Mac- in that in that he is a, he he is he kills him like the way Othello kills Desdemona, but also he's like Iago in that he is eaten up with his own petty toxic like yep. self regard and jealousy and that kind of thing. The thing that I think it is oh. echoes the most satisfactorily about Hamlet is that that Hamlet is peopled with with other into other characters that are very good at exacting re- revenge and that mm-hmm. contrasts with Hamlet's inability to do what he wants to do so Fortinbras basically is just mm-hmm. like conquers Denmark to, to for revenge right and Latrides eventually kills Hamlet for revenge mm-hmm. cuz Hamlet killed his dad and those people you don't get um, you don't get like any introspection and there's like any of their kind of introspection. There is no moment where they approach the footlights and tell you about what they're thinking about. They just do it. And I feel like you kind of have a situation where you see Winton as that. He doesn't think about his acting. He just does it. Whereas Barry mm-hmm. is like all up in his own head and taking all these classes and is tortured and has that kind of like failure cycle. Um, but we don't really understand Winton, but we know he's he's landing all these roles. So I did think that comparison sure. was solid. But like, I absolutely don't believe <laughs> that the writer yeah. dug into it that deeply. And, and I don't think like the the pop culture perception of Hamlet is that like he's this Danish fail son who can't even like get revenge for his dad. He just, it's he's, he in this case he just sort of this is just just a stand in for high art and uh yeah yeah it's it's like um actorly yeah it's like uh it's like a name recognition uh it's the play that makes most makes you think yeah it's supposed to be intellectual and and challenging stuff i respect that god he's the worst that yeah so you asked, what is the difference between tragedy and horror? Yeah. I th- I mean, I think that, it, like, do you think that tragedy, certainly there are still tragic things. I, I, so I dug into this. Are there, mo- are, is there modern entertainment that are tragedies? Why, at what point did we stop, you know, right, you you study classical drama or, you, you know, you, you know about Shakespeare, and, you know, there are tragedies and they tend to have this, they sort of follow this arc and bad stuff happens. And then um, we have uh, sort of gothic or not gothic. You have a sort of like Grand Guignol sort of tragedies where, you know, bloody revenge. And um, mm-hmm. that then, you know, maybe you take a class and you're forced to watch. Uh, um, uh, what is it? The thief, his wife, the cook, her, her lover or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Which 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 very much is trying to do that, you know, which is fun. 
Um, but like, you know, do we still have tragedies? So <laughs> I found myself as while well, researching this on a uh, on a one of those goofy Quora pages where it's just kind of like, why don't we make tragedies anymore? And someone who is a professor of drama and Shakespeare um, responded basically being like, no, because now we because even though people like um, Arthur Miller have tried to do it, we live in a democratic society and there aren't important people anymore because everyone is equal, so we can't have tragedies. Oh, good. <laughs> like, oh, wow. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. So I dug in. Um, the hottest take you can have. That's a pretty hot take. Um, I don't, so first of all, tragedy and comedy are like our oldest genres, right? Yeah. They're our oldest style. So... I looked into Aristotle's three requirements for a tragedy. Right. So first is the audience should feel pity and fear for the main character. <laughs> Gotta scare people. <laughs> Give him a good scare. Second, um, the main character must not be exceptionally good, but is also not morally bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third involves the means in which these motions are produced. Thanks, Aristotle. Great. <laughs> great um <laughs> but I, I don't know i mean i think that we i think that we and you kind of see this uh, i'll get into this when i talk about what horror is but you i just don't think we have as many things anymore that are just like it's a straight up this is the genre like we mm. don't we, we have a lot of mixing which which makes sense it shows the genres are evolving and we're playing with narrative styles and all those sorts of things um and and I think so. I think we have lots of things that have definitely tragic elements, but mm-hmm. we don't we don't have straight up Greek tragedies anymore because that's just not how we tell stories anymore. Yeah, there's not a there's not a blockbuster section for tragedies. Yeah, I mean, like I think that a lot of tra- a lot of drama can be considered tragedies. Like, yeah, you can have tragic, but although even the the thought that you have a a, a genre of film called drama. <laughs> Like two is, past is people would so be stupid. like totally yeah. laugh. It's like <laughs> yeah. the, the genre is called acting, acting pretend. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of thrillers could fall in a tragedy. Yeah. Uh, I think sure. The Mist is a tragedy. Oh is yeah, it, I think is a yeah, movie that occurs to me right off the top of my head. Where where I'm going with this is that I think that because um, you know Aristotle with his obsession with with defining things the the ultimate um the ultimate idea of tragedy is catharsis this idea that people see something and it's sad and they cry and they like lose negative psychic energy and and it helps them is kind of, is is sort of ultimately the, the i guess his take and then maybe one assumes the the sort of uh classical greek reason that it's good to watch oedipus poke his eyes out um and I think that I think that we use, we use horror like that a lot. You know, mm. if it, you you have you have you have you have fear, you have anxiety, you you place yourself in a situation where you can and this is catharsis of any sort, right? Like you go see a movie and it makes you cry and it makes you feel better. But but you know, you it gives you a safe space within which to um experience heights of emotion, some of them negative um in a good way, in a constructive way that or, or at least a harmless way that is harmless to you and harmless to people around you. And so I think that, you know, in the same way that, like, it, it, this we can get into when, when did horror become a genre. But Oh, I know, you know the answer to that. You know, why aren't there? <laughs> why aren't why 
<laughs> Why isn't Shakespeare writing, you know, comedies, tragedies, history, and the horror plays? One might one might argue that Titus Andronicus is our first uh, horror comedy. I would argue that that's true. Um, so uh, to give us some context, too, um, I looked around for a definition of what horror is, and I found mm-hmm. one. H.P. Lovecraft provided it, and it's so him. So I added it because I knew you would like it. <laughs> A profound, Cut out all the racist parts. <laughs> a profound sense of dread and of contact with the unknown spheres and powers. A subtle allude to the awed listening. Ooh. As for the beating of black wings or the scratching of outside shapes and entities of the unknown universe's utmost rim. Very him. That's very yeah, basically oh, yeah. like they were like Asia Lovecraft. Um, how would you describe how would you describe the broad genre of horror? And he was like, "What I do, my thing." It is exactly what I do, and only the thing that I precisely do. <laughs> what I do. Um, so I, I threw that in because that's kind of funny. But did you know? So yeah. horror is one of our newest genre types. It's only about two hundred and fifty years old. Mm-hmm. It's not that's not terribly old. And it first came into uh, if the term was coined for a novel written by Horace Walpole in mm-hmm. 1764 uh, called The Castle of Ortrano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Ortrano. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, getting a little yeah, accent I, there. I'm familiar with it, too. Yeah. yeah have yeah. you read it? I have not. It's not well not. thought no, 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 of. No, no, no. no, isn't it? Wait, wait, I forget. This is the gothic novel that's the castle and the big ghost helmet, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? It's not yeah. well thought of, but it, it has lots of thrills and chills and a lot of melodrama. And they right. think that, and so then, of course, the first great classic was Frankenstein, so 1818, mm-hmm. Mary Shelley. And that is a, a story of, of the romantic period that mm-hmm. leads us into Emily Bronte with Weathering Heights in 1847. So you kind of have this, like, melodrama, romance, that's, like, where it all starts, right, mixed mm-hmm. with horror. Sure. Um and then the next big leap was psychological horror. So Sigmund Freud was the new hotness. He's explore, exploring the concept of human consciousness. Um, and that's where we get things where we have like Henry James and the Return of the Screw and Charlotte mm-hmm. Perkins Gilman with the yellow wallpaper, which the horror is, are, is, the, is the, your mind is unraveling. Is mm-hmm. the person in the story, is the protagonist experiencing something supernatural or is their mind, is their mind coming undone? Is it a psychological horror? Um, and then I think from there, so I guess my, the point I'm trying to make is I feel like we have horror almost never sits just by its absolute self. You have mm-hmm. to have something else to provide context for it. And I think that tragedy tradition the traditional sense had like a really like definitive structure that it fit into and that's that i think does separate these two things horror Mm -hmm. is far less structured it's kind of it is a it's almost like a a modifier to other genres whereas tragedies are like the main genre a tra- you know yeah. if a tragedy or, or, or is something because it unfolds to a very, a very, very yeah, specific very thing, s- sort of standardized style. But yeah. I think, but I, I, I would argue that I think that perhaps the uh, the operative elements of tragedy are the same as horror, and that we, I think, a lot of our, yeah, all right. that, the things that you're that's supposed to do to people are the same. Yeah, yes. yeah, they're the same. Yeah, and, and that so, not not that our horrors are modern tragedies, but that but that they, yeah people use them the same way. 
Um, it, it also gets not tricky, but it's always funny when you want to do genres. It's the same way that, like, you ever run into people who, who think that all science fiction is speculative f- fiction, and so it has to, or they take that very hard, the very hard line sci-fi definition where it's, like, sort of change one thing and then extrapolate everything from... And you're like, no, man, it's not, it's, it's, it's no, no, I, you may have read that in a book, but that's not, that's not like the definition of science fiction. You're like, <laughs> it, can, a, it, it can be more <laughs> enjoyable and cooler than that, actually. Right. It's, that's the, it's sort of more of a mushy amalgamation of, uh, of genres. But, um, yeah. <clears throat> so the tone, so I would say that most, I would say like almost like 90% of Tales from the Crypt falls pretty firmly into the horror comedy realm, which not only was very popular at this time, but fits in well with kind of pulpy, pop-off, 22-minute sure. stories, right? Like, yeah. you make people laugh, you make people cry, you send them home satisfied, right? Right. Um, yes. This is not like that, though. The tone of this episode is really weird. Uh, yeah, there, there's, like, stuff you can tell that's supposed to be kind of funny, like the uh, interaction of the... Uh, uh, we we learn inmates, the rude mechanicals, if you will, here, putting on their play within a oh, play. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> right, right, yeah. But it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not funny. I don't even really think the horror is especially good. <laughs> no, the horror is not especially good. I, there is, there are el- elements. Okay, so I think that the, I think that his face at the end is supposed to be funny. So, right, like the, the trick of this is, that they want him, they want to cast somebody in the role, and Barry gets it through through murder, grievous murder. murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, murder most foul. But actually, what the role is is to be Yorick's skull. So they chop off right. his head. Be the prop. And they... Where are my props? Yep. <laughs> Assemble my props. Oh my gosh, so awesome. Um, Beaks. I liked Beaks too. Um, I like Beaks too. I'm, I'm kind of sad that actor didn't have more acting credits. I know. I felt like I had seen him in a bunch of stuff, but there you go. Um, yeah. But so the end is you see you see sort of this like meaty skull with this one eye still in it, and then uh-huh. you see the like you New York is not portrayed beautifully. This is not the critic. It's not a love letter to New York. It's like just like kind of well, a Mayor trash. Bloomberg didn't get in there and like kick out all the minorities and poor people. Uh. It's so like most of most of what you see is this trash filled alley. And then it's it's Barry's face sort of thrown unsanctimoniously on top of a pile of trash. And then it gets like stolen by a dog, presumably eaten. Um, right. I think I, that's I, supposed yeah. to be funny. I feel about that like it's like carrying death, though, where it's like it doesn't quite look good enough. You know, it's oh, fun no, to it talk looks, about great looks, practical effects, but it's it looks bad terrible. practical effects. It looks, it looks terrible. terrible. It looks terrible. But I, so do you think that's supposed to be funny? I mean, maybe, but if it is supposed to be funny, should the dog not eat his face? Like, even the dog doesn't want his face. Nobody but, and, wants and Barry's And I think the music uggo. would be different. Yeah, well, the the music is weird. To, yeah, the music <laughs> so throughout weird. is really weird. The, there is just like the critic. There is one solitary joke in this that I think is very, very good, and that is oh. when Barry's girlfriend is moving out with. Oh uh, yeah, yep, yep, with that yep, dude, yep. and everybody yep. is eating Barry's chicken. I thought that was a yes, very funny yeah, joke. Yeah. I thought that was funny too. Yeah, I did like that part. Um, that's like the one moment where I'm like, that's a that's a really solid joke. Yeah, it's a like solid the, joke. The, the yeah. terrible things are happening, and just everybody is has a leg of fried chicken that they're eating, which should well, belong to because she makes and, and you you really only start seeing it after she says, "I left a chicken free in the fridge." Yeah, and then you see the, the, yeah, like no, yes, 
everybody's eating a piece of chicken. It's very I'm about funny. to explain why the joke is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very funny. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. But otherwise, I find the tone of this episode, I think the tone of this episode ruins it. Yeah, well, I think John Lovitz ruins this Well, and maybe that's his tone. I feel like we're supposed to sort of see it from Barry's perspective, and that's why it's so serious. But it makes it hard to enjoy and I think there is really genuinely enjoyable elements. Uh, I, I'm lying. That's not the only funny joke. I like I like Gomez and I like uh, Beeks' interactions. Yeah, with but each he other. doesn't really. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't really do jokes though. No, he's just he himself is just kind of funny. You know, yeah, he's he's doing the actor version of uh, of Will Ferrell's Mugatu in yeah. um, Zoolander. You know, totally. the kind of you know lose ten pounds immediately. You know, sort of yeah. just. Just, You're just a grave like digger. Why shouts. aren't you digging? Yeah, totally. Right, right. And then he threatens to murder the guy. And yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Where are my props? Or the the part where he says, "Who broke my concentration?" Yeah, great. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's but it's, it's not good. it's not broadly comedic. No, no, he's not. It's, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it just occurred to me. I know why it's Hamlet, or why Hamlet. Hamlet is the horror one because it's a ghost story, Mary. There are ghosts in Hamlet, and that's why it's ghosts. Mm. But there are witches in Macbeth. That's also that's that's also Halloween play. Yeah, that's fine. Halloween play. Yeah. <laughs> actually, um, there are like a lot of ghosts actually, in Shakespeare. Now that I'm thinking about it, but uh, <laughs> the man yeah. loved a ghost. Um, you believe it? But I mean, like, okay, but 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 also remember, before you have Shakespearean drama, drama are mystery plays, which are like plays about heaven and hell that scare you into acting right. Which basically is what Tales from the Crypt is. <laughs> yeah, not not dissimilar. Tales from the Crypt is is communicating with an older dramatic tradition than Shakespeare. Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's how this is Shakespearean. The fact, I guess, the fact that like the devil doesn't show up and drag John Lovitz off to hell at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, One assumes that happens off camera. <laughs> well, I mean, Gomez is there. Yeah. Um, I guess this slides neatly into the next area. Mm-hmm. About the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I think this actually. So I think this is this this episode's big old wet fart. When it's like, does this have anything to say about Shakespeare? No. Next question. I do think that this episode does have, or thinks it has a lot to say about like acting and artifice, deception. Casting. And, y- and yet I have so much fewer notes for this than I did for Shakespeare. <laughs> is who it perhaps thought? because this is the sort of thing that is mostly interesting to people who are actors uh, and, uh, and, and writers? <laughs> well, I do I do kind of like that it suggests that Barry is the, is is the main dick here. Because on, on the the central conflict between in this story is between Barry and his ex-roommate Winton. Yes. And I, I think we're so I think if you just described this to someone, someone would assume that's like, oh, well, Barry's a serious actor, whereas Winton is just a face and like, yeah, it was just like, a hack. oh, and yeah, yeah. so like Winton is superficial, but Barry's putting in the work. But then the fact that like Barry is so easily snowed by the erratic and come to find out mentally unwell theater troupe suggests that his version of art is abusive and requires suffering that that for kind of no reason, right? And and even, and actually, and Winton even says something in the lines of like, "What are you going to knock it off with that suffering artist crap?" 
Yeah. So I and I think you're supposed to think at that moment like, oh, Winton's like such a such a dick. Yeah, yeah. But, he's, but I but I think he's kind of right in this. Like, yes. or or the narrative itself would suggest he's right. I think we're supposed to end, even though Winton also dies. Mm-hmm. Barry is the is the tragic death of this story, I would say, or the yeah. main death, right, of the story. And it mm-hmm. and he he brings it on himself. He refuses to believe that his version of what it is to be an actor and what it should feel like to be successful is is crazy. Yeah. And I would say that he I, I and I think he is He's playing a role. He's he's acting the way he thinks a serious actor should act. Too many acts, but he's he's putting on a role. He's the role he's playing is the act of, you know, Barry Bly, successful actor. You know, of course, I like a strong, demanding, abusive director because that means that he is passionate about the craft as I am as well. You know, right? Like <laughs> right. I would do anything for my art except maybe get a tan. I mean, like some of the stuff they asked for was like, not crazy, but it's extreme. Like get plastic surgery, but also I will not get a tan or wear contacts or, yeah. or dress yeah, well. Yes. Yeah. You know, right. So and, and I'm not blaming the victim or whatever. And, you know, thank God I don't have a job that's like being an actor, but, um, but you know what I mean? Right. Like he also is, un- he, he, he's the kind of guy who's like, I would sacrifice anything for my art, except the stuff that would actually bring me success. Right. And I think that there's also sort of like a little um, a little moral about appearances in there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he does not want to appear a certain way because he thinks it is beneath him. But Mm -hmm. the the appearance of this troupe is something that appeals to him. So he believes it, even though, like, if you think about it for a moment, why is this a theater in like a weird trash filled alley? Mm -hmm. You know, right. It just like fits with his superficial ideas about what acting should be like or look like. Um, Mm -hmm. So he buys it instantly without giving it any sort of intellectual scrutiny. Mm. Yeah. Um, I do think that like there is sort of like a broad, a broad jokey hack comment about theater. It's full of crazy people. You'd have to be crazy to do this. Which I yeah. don't enjoy personally. No, and again, this gets to my, and I don't really think that waiting for good, I, I, waiting for Godot. No, I don't really think that waiting for Guffman like exactly punches down. Oh, is George Orwell in that? Yeah, yeah, George George Orwell's waiting for Godot. <laughs> you know, the funny one. No, um, although waiting for Godot is kind of funny, but, but anyway, um, the uh, but the idea that pe- pe- people with access to movie cameras and stuff who have come up from this tradition are making sort of mean spirited fun of. People who of, are, of the theater people. Yeah, right. You know, I think that whence, waiting for Guffman is sort of a love letter. But yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I don't think waiting for Guffman is mean. But just this the sort of this recurrent stock bit of like, you know, kind of like how dare some rube from Tomahawk, Indiana, think he can stage William Shakespeare. What an idiot you know, you know that's sort of i thing. think it's like, even worse than that i think it might be sort of have some some basis in anti-intellectualism like i think it's sort of like who wants to see hamlet puke like i think yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's kind well, of in here as well <laughs> to quote, Which is to like, quote famous serious actor and human charisma vacuum very fly hamlet doesn't need an audience it's a classic oh god um okay so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do think, okay, so, but the, the, the sort of, like, so, right, like, Barry deceives himself uh, about, like, his abilities and success as an actor, and then he deceives himself about the role he's getting. But also, 
everyone that he interacts, well, maybe not everyone, maybe not the agents and stuff, but all of the, everyone is pretending. Because when he, remember when he shows up and um, Beaks uh, enters and says, like, this is Shangri-La and I'm the Dalai Lama. Oh, yeah, he's, he's like, what do you think it shirt. is, the Shangri-La, yeah. And, and, and for just a minute, you're like, wait, is this going to be like a sex thing? <laughs> it's yeah. Just a, it's just a, yeah. But, but, then, but then when you go back, you realize, no, prob- I, I think probably what we're, we're supposed to think that he's just being weird and kind of camp. But actually, I think he is stating his mental illness there. Like, he is oh. deeply de- delusional, and he thinks, like, right? Like, is this... Hmm. It's I didn't like consider he, that. I thought he was just being... Yeah, I thought he was just being right. camp. But yeah, all right. Right. But but I, I, I think maybe that's supposed to be... It's it's the same way that, you know, right? That we're not... You know, the early 90s is a little bit little bit late for this, but it's the whole thing where we have this idea that, uh, you know... Um, uh, 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 psych- psych- psychiatric hospitals are full of people who think they're Napoleon and Jesus, you know? Right, right, right. It's a, it's a, um, it's a quite, it's, it's a quite, um, uh, ignorant view about what mental illness looks like and who, it's kind of, and the type of people who have mental illness and who right, do, right. would it's never like have how, mental illness. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like how now, I guess, if you had like a, like a psychiatric hospital, it would be full of, um, people who are deeply troubled but make beautiful art and also serial killers yeah probably people are yeah yeah but anyway um oh and just so many young people oh isn't it so tragic that the young could be crazy well and again and again right like actually mental illness is something our society could do a much better deal with and Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, the, the surprising I, I, I think, well, thing is that there would be a facility that cared enough to like help people with mental illness. We um yeah yeah I I think we are just to be absolutely clear we're just making fun of the the the, the frankly stupid and ignorant ways that uh, we choose to sort of the shorthand represent mental illness in pop culture. It's not great, not great, folks. Bad look. But anyway, but right, and the, then Gomez. I will call him Gomez. I love his hat and his scarf where he's like being a director. Did you notice that? Um, I can't remember what he says, but he kind of has his like actor voice. But then in the final scene, right before he chops um, Barry with the axe, he does the Gomez Adams voice. He just talks like Gomez. Yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> um, yeah, um, it's fun. I mean, it, we uh, you you alluded to this before. It is fun that all the actorly over the topness is actually mental illness and not just like being pretentious. Uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, I, I think that that's a that's sort of a shop worn kind of joke where it's like, oh, you thought you thought you were talking to the therapist, but actually it was the crazy person in his waiting room. Like that's yeah, th- right, th- yeah. that's that's like a a, cl- a standard <laughs> type wah, wah, of wah, joke. Wah, wah, wah. jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, but I, I think that this is like a I don't like how it's executed. I do think you could have an interesting story with this idea for sure. Yeah. The, yes. The, I, and I, I think enjoy I, I, like so many of the episodes I don't enjoy. I like talking about it more than I liked watching it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I They should. They could have dug a little bit deeper with this one. Some things I thought about they could try to fix. Um, maybe I don't really know when method acting became such a thing, but you could poke fun at method acting with something like this because let's face it, method acting is hilarious. Uh, yeah, he almost um, is like a method acting agent, and she wants people to like the way she's vetting oh, these yeah, people yeah, yeah. is to have them creep up on her and pretend to murder her. Which, yeah, by the way, really Jay is very bad at. I'm like, I don't blame what? her for yes, not casting yes. him. He's dead, you bitch. Yeah. Bleh. Yeah. 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 She shouldn't cast him. He's bad. Yeah, he's he's bad at it. Um, 
but uh you know maybe you do something like the director wants the show to be the most authentic and then actually kills barry on stage that i think that would be the is that the johnston child official recut of this it should be hamlet or something and then barry get and then barry is killed on stage and then the foil is actually dipped in poison yeah probably Uh, that'd be hamlet but yeah but yes 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 yeah you know, he wants like like and then because then you could create a thing where he has this theme about how he wants it to be authentic and real. And I have to believe it. That also communicates nicely with him where uh, for, for kind of no reason when his uh, buddy gets cast, he decides to start speaking Shakespeare in, in like Shakespearean cadence and murder him, you know, like Shakespeare does because there's murdering in those plays. Lots of murders. Yeah. Well, one thing that they committed to that I'm pretty sure was true during Shakespeare's time is that everyone's wearing tights, but no one is wearing a dance belt. I, you know, I thought about that exactly, especially, especially, is it Winton? Winton. Oh, my God. Winton, Winton, like, everybody else can kind of get away with it. It's not that big a deal. But Winton well, has to fall backwards standing. with his legs splayed apart. I know. The, the whole time you're watching Winton get murdered, all you think you're doing is, like, shopping for bratwurst. It's not <laughs> great. It's a full butcher shop window. Yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not, <laughs> not good. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I'm sure that is what it was like during Shakespeare's time. That's why they had to have all those ridiculous cod pieces. Yeah. Well, they knew. I mean, you know, right? Like, they they They, they, they were not ignorant to how funny penises are. They knew. <laughs> they were aware. <laughs> what if they didn't? They were like, that is serious. That is serious and rude. Hey, that is serious and private. <laughs> Ask who I voted for. I won't tell you. It's private. Like my penis. It's private. Exactly like my penis. Um, Unlike my penis, which everyone on the internet can see. No, no one knows what I do in the voting I booth. I actually have no idea what, uh, what like, the Elizabethans thought about big or small penises. <laughs> do you remember Do you remember in HBO's Rome where they send the slave with a, with, with a huge dong over to, like, the feuding house? And uh, Lavinia says something like, oh, big penis is always welcome. <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's really funny. <laughs> and, and here's the thing where you're like, was that accurate? I mean, it's HBO, so, like, probably not. They were just like, we got to get some dick in here. Well, based on their statues, no. But who knows? Right. Smaller the better. <laughs> nice and nice and elegant, compact. I was it's just, like a little Italian I was just sports in, car. I was just in Italy. I saw lots of marble buns. <laughs> buns. Buns. That's all I got. So, you got. You don't have any. Okay, so I don't really know if these are ambushes, but I, I have a. I have a. I have a dumb question. Yes. So, like, what is the horrific thing in this episode? What is the horror? I think the horror. The horror is that Barry thinks he's getting exactly what he wants, but he gets exactly what he deserves for being. I see. For being a uh, pretentious ass. Isn't that like a weird, isn't that weird that that's the lesson they're trying to teach in a show where we see him murder somebody and then also he gets murdered with an axe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like they punch the wrong kind of horror. It's just sort of like kind of like. I just think it's, just... it's just a muddled map. It's, it's just muddled and messy. Yeah. It's not, it's yeah. not, I don't think it's like well thought out from, from soup to nuts. Like. Right. And, and I think that it's not her. And I understand. <laughs> I understand unsympathetic protagonist. No, but Barry is such a like just miserable, miserable jerk that you don't care and you just kind of want it to be over. In my that that's the way I feel anyway. And it's sort of the weird thing like that that seems to be John Lovett's shtick here, and it's sort of his shtick in the critic. 
And it's not a very good shtick. It's, it's a bad shtick. It's no good. Yeah. I folks, mean, folks, it's bad. I would not mind if every episode of The Critic, because they took a, a chapter from Teen Titans and had sort of a loose narrative that, that didn't necessarily need continuity. And every episode of The Critic ended with um, with Jay Sherman getting his head chopped off. That would probably <laughs> be a bit of an improvement. That, w- that, w- that would rule. That would rule. Uh, also, also nerds, nerds out there, I know. My sister is talking about Teen Titans Go!, not any of the two or three other Teen Titans things. So, so just just don't send us emails about it. Yeah, it's the one that it's the one that's fun to watch. <laughs> God, Mary, no. <laughs> my Have sister you now Teen will Titans? say it's some. Fun. My sister now will say unkind things about Batman the animated series and also Batman Beyond. <laughs> oh no, I like both those things. Yeah, but, yeah, they're good. You know why? Because they have a bit of fun. Because <laughs> I like to have fun every now and then. I can have some fun as a treat. Yeah, I like having fun as a treat. But, uh, but anyway, I just do kind of feel like this punched the wrong. This has pacing issues that punches the wrong horror elements. That it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Like that. That you can tell they're trying to do a good job when you see the the phone that they do that fun keyhole shot, which was unnecessary but kind of cool. And you see that there's like somebody not answering the phone, and I don't know. By the time you realize that guy's dead, you're just like, oh, okay, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I I do wonder, like, I knew what this episode was going to be about. I wonder if it was surprising to the original audience. Wait, so when you say that, do you mean you knew he was going to come to a sticky end or like you, you absolutely knew that it was going to be a, 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 a I, I use outdated language because more... it's not a real place, a lunatic asylum. <laughs> a loony bin? I didn't realize yeah. it was a loony bin. I, I think I realized that this theater could not be what it was purporting to be and that they were going to murder him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the like the one we're coming up that that's coming up. The the is it Kathy Ireland, the Miss Lobo- the Miss Miss yeah. Lobotomy or Miss Autopsy, whatever. Miss Autopsy. Where you're just kind of like, yeah, of course. It yes. sails through the crypt. Something terrible is going to happen in sort of random fashion to this guy. Yeah, but like you have just enough information such that the ending is not like a what a twist. I I don't know if yeah. that's anything anyone felt. Maybe that's mm-hmm. just because that I have like different expectations because we have. We have progressed further in anthology <laughs> our horror. Adma- our advanced prestige television world. Well, I would kind of, yeah. Like, you know, like the, the more stories that you can see played out and the more styles and no, flavors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, we're more, a little bit more savvy. Sophisticated audience. Yeah. yeah. I understand. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I wonder if this, because I wonder if it was like a huge surprise, if that would change my read immensely. It probably would. Maybe I but would sympathize then, with Barry more, which I think would change it quite a bit, change my read quite a bit, but I don't. But like, yeah, yeah. But even then, the pacing is still really off, because if that's the case, they should, they they could, they could do it differently. Like, it takes them a, he has so much time to kind of like run around and be like, oh no, home for the criminally insane. You know, it's not. Yeah, it's not punchy at all. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, it's, they could have, if. All that has to happen is Gomez shows up and is like, oh, dear boy, you've been cast as Yorick. And he's like, what? And then it cuts to the guy with the sc- then Then you cut axe, 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 axe. Cut to the guy with the skull. Then the SWAT team shows up. Although it's not the SWAT team. It's funny. I wonder if SWAT teams existed at this time. Mm. You'd think they would. But, you know, where they're extracting. And then and then you can, you can explain that it's a home for the criminally insane. You know, then. And then finito. You know what I mean? Like you could you could wrap the whole thing up in five minutes or something. Mm-hmm. 
instead of what we got where he like runs around oh no oh, look everybody's dead oh no what maybe oh. i'll escape oh i absolutely won't <laughs> i'm just gonna run in this room stop don't leave yeah exactly <laughs> wait so is the only good john i mean i remember laughing at john lovitz when he was on saturday night live but i did not revisit those because i didn't want to be completely negative but i mean he's still pretty good in league of their own right oh yeah if i had oh, yeah. your job i'd kill myself oh yeah, yeah. super good <laughs> <laughs> everyone in league of their own is, is at top peak them is it the peak of their yeah is i almost asked a silly question is league of their own the best madonna film absolutely yeah it, it absolutely is what 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 on earth would compete with it avita body of evidence have you seen avita's <laughs> oh my god body of evidence definitely not <laughs> Uh, let's see. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I can't imagine that there's a subject in the world we haven't talked about in this in this episode. Are you surprised that he's supposed to be so weird? Okay, so I there were a couple things. Do you think it's notable that the agents and casting people, the like hateful authority, are all women in this? I feel like it's not developed or anything, but it's one of those things where on the one hand oh, you're the like, that's good. It shows them in power. Or is it bad? Because it's like, look at these bitches. I think, won't it's, supposed even give be, me I think it's supposed to be like an extra. Uh, like, yeah, know, like it's, it's humiliating it's, it's that like even a woman can. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bad. It's bad. It feels bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are you so where do you th- where where is this supposed to take place? I guess you you know because you've seen it. But it I know it's supposed to be New York. It feels weird. It feels very L.A. I feel like constantly telling someone they need plastic surgery feels very L.A. <laughs> I think that they didn't do it because theater culture is a much bigger deal in New right, York. Right, 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 right. So and I maybe think I don't that's know why about it, but it yeah. has to be in New York. But do you know what I mean, though? It felt like a very L.A. kind of story. Yes. I mean, like, all the, did they, they film a lot of commercials cast... in New York? How's he running into Winton? What's Winton doing there? I, they should they should have if they was in L.A., they would have had to cast a much more handsome man to be Winton. But he seemed fine. He's, he's, fine. he's handsome, but like he's kind of a normal in terms of like these kind of shows. He's basically a normal looking dude, which I think is another problem with this episode. He's not like he's not like Mary's like give me Mary's like woof woof give me that yeah you, you're steak. not giving me anything to look at. Come on, no. Um, <laughs> Do you like that when Barry discovers that they're gonna murder with an axe? He just says you're all mad. You're like wait what? Very. As if that's going to convince them. They'll be like, oh, wait. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, oh gosh. We haven't taken our Haldol in a week. Consider this. All right. Yeah. Let's wrap this. Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this turkey up. Let's put one in its neck. Would you like to go first or like me to go first? I'll go first. Go. Go. Um, Speak the speech. I pray you. I didn't really enjoy watching this episode when I saw it. <laughs> but I did enjoy thinking about it and talking about it. So I'm going to give this a firm two out of five eccentric Baltimorean mustaches. Oh, wait, is that a full mustache or is that like that's, one pencil side, two pencil side? That's a, it's, it's a, it's a, a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, like, you know how like kind of there's like a left and right half. So is the two, is it two complete mustaches or is it like one side, the other side, complete mustache, two? Oh, I, I I think it's a I think it's a two piece and a biscuit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still good. okay. Fine. It's the I, whole um, mustache. So this will come as a surprise to our listeners. I watched it and I was like, eh, it's kind of bad. Didn't really like it. <laughs> I watched it again. I liked it less. <laughs> um, 
Wait, does that mean <clears throat> your thing was that you liked it better on the second watch? It's usually, usually that's usually the John, the Thomas Johnston turnaround. But in this case, I just liked it less and less every time I have to watch it, and I hope I never have to watch it again. Um, because John Lovitz is off-putting and uncharismatic in this, which is bad because we've already established that he does at least one good thing with his career. Um, so I give this one one missing cod piece out of five. Oh, nice, nice, nice. You and you I wrote did a that very, before we talked. You did a very directorial choice, which is you saw it and you were like, "What's what's what's in, what's." Sh- what should be filling this negative space? What's missing here? What's not in here, but what's missing? Codpiece. Yes, correct. Codpiece. Correct. <laughs> it was startling. Hey, Mary, did you know that when they were making Star Wars A New Hope, Carrie Fisher wasn't allowed to wear a brassiere? I do know. Are you trying to backdoor <laughs> pilot my other show? <laughs> I'm just talking about celebrity underwear. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the panty pod. Thank you. <laughs> oh, gross. Yeah. Panty pod, all panties. Oh, God. <clears throat> Next week, we return to non specific and not tremendously culturally competent Caribbean island. Ooh, goody. Which was perhaps one of the most robust casts seen thus far in episode six of season three Dead Weight. And see, Mary, it's a pun because it's like weight. Like it's not weight, like 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 mass. It's yeah. weight, like like what you do at like the DMV. For, yeah, for Godot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to Crypt Creepers. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the platform of your choice. Rate us, subscribe, do anything you can to help us with the analytics, so other people can enjoy listening to us talk about our childhood and Kenneth Branagh. Um, be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash crypt-creepers to see all of our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. Ah, and now, poor Barry. I'm sure this isn't what he had in mind when his agent said the part required a headshot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Solid joke. Crushed it. Outrageous.